Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, I have a very special guest, and I have been quite anxious about this guest for some time, and I had planned to do this show a little bit differently today than I've done past shows, and I was going to tell you about the history uh, that I've uh, had with him, whether he's known about it or not. But instead, I'm going to start off with a story about what happened over the past hour. Uh, my guest was kind enough to uh, drive over the bridge from St. Pete to come and visit me uh, to talk after hours today. And he asked me what the address was. And instead of putting my address of 3302 North Tampa Street, I put 3302 North Jackson Street. And so I sent today's guest to Bush Gardens during rush hour. And he was still kind enough to come back by. So on today's show, we have Pat Clemwish. How are you doing, Pat? Absolutely wonderful, man. No thing. I'm so happy that you didn't tell me to kick rocks and drive back home. I was uh, half expecting that's what the response would be, but no, man. It was a it was an adventure, um, and you know some of the streets trying to get up there were closed off, so it was like zigzagging through. I guess is it kind of is it Seminole Heights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And man, it's. It's an up-and-coming area. I don't know if you make it over to Seminole Heights or Tampa Heights too much. I, I, I don't. It reminds me a lot of my neighborhood out on the beach, um, mostly with like people um, just kind of wandering at random into the street. Yeah, you, you, um, get, you get the whole spectrum of life driving, and, or driving around that area. And, man, we, I was going up 40th, uh, right where it crosses the river. Everybody speeds up to like 50 miles an hour all of a sudden. Yeah. And there was a dude running down the dotted white line over the bridge like with and the cars are just not even slowing down just kind of you know veering to each side to get around him and oh man i felt this unbelievable compendium of emotions all at once starting with awe and terror and then a little kind of strange admiration i guess for the but man have you ever driven nebraska never okay man it's a different world over here so there's this old episode of the simpsons where bart went to the wrong side of the tracks and literally on one side of the tracks it was like mansions and like 10 feet across the tracks it was pawn shops and gun stores so i live in ballast point which is near mcdill air force base so my drive to work every day is up bayshore boulevard which is the nicest street in tampa then through downtown and as soon as you get under the overpass you're coming up Florida Avenue and it's all halfway houses and all these different things. So literally I see the whole social strata over the course of about 20 minutes in my drive to work every day. So I completely understand what you're talking about. Um, Before I get into kind of who Pat is and what he's done, I'm still going to tell my story. So as most of you who know me or listen know, I grew up in St. Pete and for the first two years of my high school career, I went to St. Pete High. Now I went to St. Paul's Catholic School before St. Pete High and, you know, a Catholic school uh, is, is a certain type of experience Then going to a public school thereafter was a completely different one. I was a shy, quiet kid, and I remember this other shy, quiet kid, and he was tall, white blonde hair, very quiet, and he always had a guitar in his hand. And I knew him because he was friends with some mutual friends, and I'd see him around, and that was about it. Well, skip ahead till about five, six years ago, uh, some friends of mine were going to Gasparilla Music Festival, and they tell me about this band they're going to see called The Hip Abduction. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. And they said, well, it's Pat's band. And I said, Pat who? And they said, Pat Clemowish. And I said, from high school? Yeah, it was. And so I sit there. They come out. And out comes uh, 
the best I can describe is like Thor. He's like six foot five. He's built like a brick shit house, and he comes out and he's playing these exotic instruments. Uh, he's playing the guitar, and then one song he starts rapping in Portuguese, and I felt like I was on acid. I couldn't believe what was going on. <laughs> so afterwards, he walks out and he says hello to everybody, and you know, just a transformation. It's amazing. And then as I learn more about him, his story gets even more interesting. So. Thank you again for coming over. I'm gonna kind of kind of start at the beginning and go from there. You were born in St. Pete originally, correct? No, man, I was born on uh, an army barracks over in Germany. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Dad, Clem, what is Klemowesh? What is it? Klemowesh is Lithuanian, but okay. it got, but it got altered at Ellis Island, um, as far as we can tell. And um, I think Lithuanians tend to slur more okay. than the other Slavs. So okay. instead of a vich, it, it got turned into a wish. wish. And um, yeah, and when my grandfather was enlisting um, uh, to in the in the Navy for World War II, um, they they had it with this different spelling, and there's different there's different varieties of story that go with yeah. it. But basically, he he just he was the kind of guy who was just like, oh, I'll keep it, go with it, yeah. And so yeah, man. So your dad was? Did you say the Air Force? Dad was in the Army. Army, okay. Yeah. Um, now, what does your dad do? Because I know I, I've seen your dad. Because I know you do a lot of the paddle boarding stuff uh -huh. with him. Was, yep. is, is he a doctor? What was his story? Yeah, no, we practiced together in, okay. in, in the clinic over in St. Pete. Okay. Um, was he a medic in the army? He was. Okay. He was. Uh, and so, how long did he serve? So he did. He did his four years for his GI Bill. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, where did you guys move? From there, we came back and went through the the end of his. Um, his training with his residency and fellowship. So we were in Alabama a little bit and North Carolina a little bit. And then... So you moved around a bunch. Yeah. And then he um, settled in St. Pete um, where his dad and mom had, had settled because they had, they were, they had come down uh, and seen it um, a couple of times during my grandfather's career to be at McDill. Um, Who was your grandfather? He was in the Navy. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they... Um, you know, it was a place we always visited to, to hang out with the grandparents. And then they, you know, finally when he finished his, his training, they were like, you guys want to move to Florida? And I'm like, heck yeah. That's yeah. the land of ice cream and, you know, Peaches staying up late. And, yeah, sauna, yeah. <laughs> of course. Now, is it just and, you and your brother or do you have another sibling? It's me, my older brother, Chris, and my younger sister, Sasha. Well, I didn't know Chris was your older brother. I thought he was your younger brother. Yeah. Okay. How much older is Chris? He's two years older. Okay. And then what, how old Sasha? Sasha is um, 30 years old. Right okay. Now. Is, does she live locally or did she move away? No, excuse me. I'm doing it. I'm, she's going to be mad at me because I forgot her exact birthday. Um, 33. Okay. And, and she is living local. She's working at the VA right now. Okay. At, in internal medicine. Oh, is she a doctor? Or is she, she is. A, oh, yeah. God, the genes in this family. Yeah. So, uh, now was your father an allergist too, or is that? Some, yes. Okay. Yep. So you, you had that in the blood. Do you remember going to the office as a kid? I mean, was it something that oh, yeah, registered man. with you as a younger guy? Yeah. Um, well, mostly that I didn't want to do it cause everybody, you know, you don't want to do what you did. pinches <laughs> your cheek and, sure, you yeah. know, uses the follow in the footstep line and all that. Um, but no, that was, you know, yeah, we'd go and, and, and hang out with him after work or anytime you got anything that needed medical care, you went, you know, you to that to office and sure. he'd figure out, you know, so, um, you know, one of my most memorable ones was, um, 
getting uh, a pencil stuck in my leg. Oh no! In in grade school, and you know the tip breaking off. Yeah. And not telling anybody because I knew I was going to have to get a shot or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it got discovered like about a week and a half later with the like fragment still. Yeah, the fragment still in there and everything. And so like we're going we're going to your dad's office. My wife's dad is a is an orthodontist and he was a, a pharmacist, but he's got and this this is kind of probably TMI, but he's got in his top drawer a penny that my wife uh, digested oh, wow. and, and passed through the air, other end and it's as shiny as you'll ever find a penny yeah, going man. through the body. It just cleaned it right up. So that's, that's his lucky penny. It's totally lucky at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I'm sure she'd love that I'm telling you and everyone listening this story. So uh, was your dad into music? Did you have music in the household as a kid? How is it that you kind of came upon that? Because I remember you were playing guitar pretty early. Um... Yeah, I mean the um, I was a Suzuki kid uh, growing up, where you, you you do the Suzuki violin method. Yeah, and um, so you know, and played with like the youth symphony and the um, the youth orchestra and stuff like that. And um, around it was it was sixth grade because you go to middle school and you're. Did you go to Shorecrest? I think I asked you that. I remember. I went to Shorecrest for grade school. Okay, and. Than um, Seminole Middle School. Okay. And but middle school is just a different animal, man. You know, there's kids with mustaches. Oh, and, for sure, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and all of a sudden, you know, you're you have to worry about peer pressure. All of a sudden, that was my it's experience at Sleepy High coming right? from St. Paul's. It was, you know, one end of the spectrum was 90210, and then the other end of the spectrum was kids bringing guns to school. And I was like, I don't fit into either one of these groups. So man, it was it was a different experience. But you know, if you show up to your first day in middle school carrying a violin, oh yeah, it's, it's like a, the, the the predator red dots just focusing on you. Um, you weren't stocky back then, but you were definitely tall. I mean, you were you were a good head taller than most of the people, if I recall. Right, and I probably weighed about you know eighty pounds soaking, soaking wet. wet yeah. right? and yeah. and you know it just makes you stand out from the herd like a a, yeah. a zebra with yeah. a extra fragile long neck or something. <laughs> <laughs> so this but, i don't know the suzuki method is that a, is that a teaching method or is it, that a, yep yep okay. it was it was a um uh, a really interesting dude in in japan who um basically studied the way that people learn music and um it's a way of taking simple rhythms and melodies and getting people to to start by playing not just scales and and uh chords or whatever and exactly but by doing essentially the concept of the etude the study you know where you 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 get a, a riff yeah. and, you, and you learn how to riff um and so they 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 get you to play different rhythms on single tones and everything else and then incorporate that little by little by little into you know getting you to play a full song and, and everything else and so a lot of um Kids who are, who study classical music, they start with the Suzuki method. Okay, so did that? I, I would imagine that helped you pick up the guitar and most, prob probably most the reason you definitely. play all the instruments that you play. Yeah, man, um, it's been a it's been a um, an exploration, you know. Um, well, I know you do the guitar, and then you're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation. But there's the kora, and is it the ngoni? Yep, the the, the ngoni, the okay, and the version that, ngoni means something. Um, pretty much akin to harp okay. uh, in uh, Bambara, um, West African language. And so there's a bunch of different ingonis. So the jelly ingoni is almost like a ukulele, um, crossed with a violin kind of. 
Um, and the Don Soangoni is a, is a hunter's harp, which is used a lot in ritual, and it's kind of simpler bass tones. Mm-hmm. And the Kamali Ngoni is the the young man's harp and that's that's relatively recently i think i think as recently as like the late 1960s or early 1970s uh introduced sort of really? into west african music because basically when the when the electric guitar made it back to africa the style of music re- in west africa really started changing is and felakuti is that is that in that area? Mm, Kuti is, um, I, I believe he's uh, Nigerian, okay. and he's an Afrobeat stylist. Okay. Um, but it's the same kind of thing where, you know, music comes from Africa to the United States and then comes back with different influences from, you know, the, the all the stuff oh, from, sure, yeah. from Celtic music and from, you know, the, the Appalachian music and everything else that turned into like skiffle and rock and roll and 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 blues even and, and yeah then, well blues blues have been passed back and forth several times and then yeah. it, and then it goes back there um, and and in West Africa it influenced everything like including the way they make harps and so the the kamaliangoni is almost like sort of like the electric guitar version of the traditional harp. How'd you come upon those instruments? Did you seek them out? Was it just something through playing stringed instruments that you knew about, or did you travel to West Africa or? So um, my my original interest in it was I remember very clear. It's a very clear childhood memory being in in New York City. We were there for you know the kind of family vacation, right. to see the Empire State Building and everything, and um, see the correct spelling of Clemwish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 riding the subway, and we were in a subway station, and there was a guy playing the kora, and man, it just. I was just transfixed by right. it, man, and and my parents were, you know, kind enough and, and wise enough, I think, to let me sit there and, and watch it and not, you know, try to drag me away and get on with the day. Um, I don't remember how long I sat there watching it, but right. just, it, it was hypnotizing. Man. Had you already been playing by that point? I mean, were you already doing I the I was vi- playing the violin. So, you know. It was a language you kind of understood already. But I couldn't understand what was going on with the music because the chorus, a, a lot of times you're playing three different lines at the same time, which is just hypnotic. Yeah. You know, to, to play it or just to sit and, and pay attention to it and listen. Um, and it's so, kind of backwards from a guitar. It's almost as if you're looking at a fretboard instead of. Yep. And can yep, you yep. do chords on it, or is it just sure. finger picking? Or sure, it, um, you can play chords on it. There, you know, people are expanding the repertoire of it yeah. nowadays and, and putting it in lots of different types of music, playing it more like a traditional Celtic harp. But the the old school way of of uh, of, of playing chorus music is you play a bass line. You play an accompaniment, and you play um, essentially like a solo or an improvisation wow. over the top of it. Yeah. So it's like playing piano with three hands, kind of. It's like uh, what do they call it? Not kinetic chess, but you're kind of a vector of different different things at one time. That's yep. pretty cool. Um, now, which is the one that you played the most when you were doing the hip abduction? The bigger one is that the Cora? Is that the Angoni? Yeah, with the hip abduction, I played the Cora and the Kamali Angoni. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so skipped ahead a little bit, but so after after high school, you went to Harvard. That's pretty impressive. How how is it that you was that the only place you applied, or is that where your dad went, or how is it? I mean, obviously that's that's the school to go to, but no, I think we were all as surprised as, as anybody. Um, 
just um, applied and got in, and it was, it was hard to say no to. Were you there at the same time as anybody, Zuckerberg or Jared Kushner or any of these other people? Uh, the voice of Aladdin was oh, there. Okay. <laughs> um, one, uh, one or both of the Gore um, girls were there. Oh, wow. Um, I don't think Zuckerberg was there. He was, he was after me. We didn't have, we had, we had, we had a, a, a Facebook, but it was just a book. Yeah. It was like a, a magazine. Yearbook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah like. Wow. So how was, how was, I mean, I love Boston. I'm Irish Catholic family. So I go up there and I kind of feel at home. How was that experience for you? I, I, I would have a hard time going to school living in Boston. Um, yeah, I think the, the, you know, that, that, it's a it's a big city and coming right. out of when when I was growing up in St. Pete, man, it was not. It wasn't near, St. Pete today. Yeah, no, was definitely a, not. Yeah, way down. way quieter. Our moms used to drop us off downtown to skateboard on the oh, weekends because sure. yeah. it was the safest. Damon's place Landing to... or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you wouldn't see a car all day. You could skateboard downtown all day long. You wouldn't see one car. Right. You know, and and um, but no, Boston was was incredible, man. Um, and you know, I I I got really into uh, Brazilian music when I was living there. It's a huge Brazilian element. So that's what I was going to ask you about because uh, obviously there's that one song that you guys did with the hip abduction where you rap in Portuguese. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And uh, so to give you a little bit of story about myself. Both my parents passed away in the past two years. Um, my mom. Both of them died of cancer. My mom, the first time she got cancer was uh, in 2005. And after that, I kind of went into this depression. And I was trying to figure out what I should do. And I got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I started training with uh, Hobson Mora, who's an eight-time world champion, uh, Armin Yu. And I became friends with a ton of Portuguese, uh, Brazilian people who speak Portuguese. And so when I heard you sing, I was like, that was completely unexpected. I was wondering how it was that you kind of ran across that culture. So that kind of answers that question. Now, did you do jujitsu too? I thought I saw something somewhere on one of your pages that you had some experience with that or um, misremembering. No, I think you misremember it, but I, I played a lot of capoeira when I was oh, in, yeah. in, in college. And then um, I never really did jujitsu, but um, I, I used to have a really good friend um, who, who, who taught and I would go over and just do no gi sessions sure, with, yeah. with, and, and, they love beating up on big guys. Oh you know, yeah, so, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like the guy in the prison yard. Yeah, they gotta prove themselves with. But um, no, man, I, I actually lived for a year in Brazil. Oh, I was gonna ask. During, How was that during the time? It was it was eye opening. Yeah, you know, I've heard you know? it's amazing. I've heard I've never been, but uh, mm -hmm. a bunch of uh, people that I train with would go down there for competitions, and I've just heard some crazy stories from down there. It's a different place. I was in a part of Brazil that um, most people in Brazil don't know about don't what, know it exists Bellas or whatever they, no man i was uh, i was up in the north um the north of the country which is the undeveloped part of it okay um so it'd be like if somebody i don't know Took you to Ocala. To, to, <laughs> came to the united yeah or, no not even ocala more yeah. like two egg yeah you know or, or or one of those towns you never even heard of up in the panhandle but we were we were um i was up i was up off of um the tapajos and the amazon rivers in a little town called santareng um, which is a lot bigger now. Same as this was thing. in college. Yep. yep wow. Yep. Now was a study abroad or, um, <laughs> I got this crazy idea. Uh, I was, I was studying ecology in, okay. in college and I got this really crazy idea that 
I was going to I was going to prove a fundamental theory in ecology by tracking um, fish migrations. Oh wow! <laughs> in the Amazon, and um, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the setup know, kind it, of foreshadows the it, outcome. For yeah, <laughs> the the original project didn't make it that far, but yeah, there was enough going on that I got a, a really I got a really interesting project going, um, and you know the Harvard, thank goodness, decided to keep funding what I was doing anyway. And That's awesome. So what I got, an experience. I got the grant to hang out and just learn as much as possible about the, the, the little fishing village culture that they had up there. And, um, how are you treated there? Um, Giant mostly, white guy walking around mostly prison. with just hilarity. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, you know, the, the people that live in the, in the, in the river communities, a lot, they, they will affectionately re, affectionately refer to themselves as, as caboclo, which is kind of like, I guess like hick maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. A, it can have that connotation. People can make fun of that word, but right. they also they own it and they call themselves caboclo. And they they're the they're sort of the mixture of the original indigenous culture with the escaped slave culture, with a little bit of like this kind of uh, Iberian Portuguese like efficiency and industry and toughness. And, wow. and so they're really really amazing people. So you'll go to a you'll go to a fishing village that you have to use a canoe to get to and you'll get there and that is man everybody is like trying to give you coffee which is you know a valuable thing for sure here coffee down there's a lot different from coffee up here too and man yeah you you, you, it it lights you up so so and and then trying to get you to they'll try and get you to stay at their house like no sleep in my hammock and yeah they they have nothing man the guy has literally two pairs of pants it's weird and, how that works. And one shirt, and he's trying to get—he's trying to give you his hammock to sleep. Oh, I, I, like, yeah. I like sleeping on the floor. It's okay. Sleep on the sleep on my hammock. So it's it's a different world. So were you introduced to the music down there? I mean, did you kind of pick up on? Yeah, know? most definitely. It's 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 funny, man. How the I think the coolest thing about the internet, with all the badness of of, of the internet and all the lack of preparedness that humanity has for that technology i think it can do really i I think it can be a tool for good and the main example i give if i'm thinking about that is that people from different cultures can understand how broad diverse and just un way underexplored the the world of music or rhythm right or instruments or singing or stories or art or whatever it is you 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 realize how vast and, and yeah i mean a lot of people here are very myopic you know they don't understand that there's a whole world of cinema there's a whole world of music there's you know all these things out there and you know politically in the climate we're in with you know severe nationalism and kind of this is the only way i've seen such beauty and you know i went to greece in law school uh, I went to Ireland for St. Patty's Day, and you know, nicest people in the world. My wife and I were just in England and Scotland, and it was Scotland was insane because literally you're at a convenience store, and across the street was where like Robert the Bruce fought, you know, thousands of people and people's heads. Like some of yeah, we used to have the guillotine over there, but now that's the gas station. So uh-huh. it's you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, the Brazilian culture, I've just that was something I appreciated so much just through 
my little you know experience with it with uh, the jujitsu community. Um, so you said you did a year there. I did. And was that the last year of college, or that was? Um, I did that and came back and did my um, my my senior thesis work about that that research. And then did you go straight into the University of Alabama, or would you take any time off? No. So so again, um, serendipity, happenstance, just smacked me upside the head. And the the day I got um, uh, the call that I got accepted to med school. I was all stoked. I'm like, I'm taking the rest of the day off from studying and whatever else. And I went to the gym and I was getting the yayas out and working out. And I saw this guy who had who I'd been in a, in a class with, and he had become a a, a professor at Oxford uh -huh. after after graduating. And oh, wow. he was he was he was a PhD when I when I was in the class with him. And anyway, he saw me. and He's like, Hey, remember how we were talking about tropical ecology? I got I got a I finally got a grant for Manu, and Manu is this. It's a national park in Peru that oh is like God. the size of Massachusetts. It's, it's some of the only, literally, or only Oriente, um, you know, rainforest that is more or less untouched, untouched by yeah. by by metal, um, at least. And uh, he's like, I need a research assistant, and I was like, Oh Your man! Body senses started tingling, dude. So I so I went to Manu for a year with. Uh, an ethnobotanist and an ecologist, and worked in worked in the park down there with the the Machiganga tribe wow. for a year. Wow, that was hard to say no to, too. I would imagine. Well, gosh, what about the music there? Was it did they have their indigenous music? Anything? Yeah, man. Um, it it is so so they're until very recently essentially Stone Age. So it's not you know if there's any metal, it's something that got passed down you know it's a it's a knife where the blade is like only two inches long at this point because right. it's been used for so long or you know and and or it's a pot that they've been you know patching for 20 years and so there's very little metal so it's that simple of a of a um uh, uh, uh there's no there's no there's not that there's not enough contact with the outside world where modern instruments have made it in there in any way there's not like fishing line instruments for example what do they do, like, you know, introducing you into a, a, an untouched world like that? You know, do they worry about sickness or anything, you know, anything that you've been, you know, inoculized from coming in and giving it to them? I mean, yep. how most, does that work? Most definitely. To get into the park, you have to do a, a real um, big series of vaccinations. Um, and the paperwork is and bureaucracy for that's pretty heavy. And then you, you essentially quarantine while you're going into it. You stay You stay on the outskirts of the park for... Um, a week or two, make sure you're not sick with anything, right? And then head in. What type of food did you eat there? Uh, man, you'll eat basically <laughs> any anything <laughs> that is offered to yeah. you. So, um, you eat a lot of cassava, okay? Um, you eat a lot of palm fruit and palm berries. Um, you, um, Every once in a while, eat fish, but the only way they fish there is by damming a river and then poisoning it to. Really? Yeah. That's how oh my fish. gosh. Yeah. So there's no. With know, like what berry? Like how do they poison it? Uh, they use a uh, um, a bunch of leaves and bark. They have a oh, wow. they have a high alkaloid content to okay. them. Um, and yeah, and it, it it a lot of the fish aren't really dead. They just start floating, and you and go and get them and, and, yeah. and whack them. Wow. Um, and you know, for for meat, they'll they'll eat um, tapir um, and peccary uh, if they can get it. That's a feast. 
um, and sometimes monkey. Um, and you did that for a year. Yep. Was it tough, yep. or were you, were you were you having a blast? Oh uh, man, it, it would be paradise if it wasn't for the bugs. Oh really? The, the <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the the bugs are are just torturous, Insane. man. Yeah. But but the rest of it, again, another world. It's something you don't get to see, and it's hard to explain um, how how varied, how different, um, and yet how similar people are. In, in a lot of ways, it's just fascinating. Well, I mean, you're clearly a intellectual, intellectually curious person. Has that always been the case, or did that develop over time? Is that common throughout your family, or are you kind of a singular figure in that way? I think it's common in our family, and you know, mostly I'd thank my mom for it for just forcing us to read when we were little kids. And what'd your mom do? Um, she had a bunch of different jobs. She worked in some clinics for a little while during, uh, my dad's residency. And then she, um, actually got her, her master's degree and taught for a little while. Oh, wow. What'd um, you teach? Oh boy. Sorry. I, <laughs> I'm on the spot. I put people on the spot. I think she was teaching English. I can't okay. remember. Okay. Um, and then she, she, uh, worked in, uh, in the office of our clinic for a little while. Um, and, and did a lot of child rearing. Okay. Yeah. She did a good job. She got two doctors and a lawyer out of it. So, uh, she yeah, did something yeah. right. So then, uh, you get back from Peru and start University of Alabama or? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Right into it. And did you know that you, the allergist thing, was that you're going to, is that what you decided at the outset or did you kind of come upon that? Oh, no way, man. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Oh really? Yeah, that's the, oh man, the PI the attorneys would have loved you. Yeah. yeah, and and they kind of they kind of push you into that if you're if you're on a larger size. Um, really? Yeah, you have to be you have to be a little to pull to pull to pull a hip out of a socket. Yeah, you got yeah. you got, it, you got some torque. It's it's not you know it's not a gentle art. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so the. the Orthopedic surgeons tend to be kind of like jocks. Yeah, you know, you know Doctor Tedder over in St. Pete, Jeff I, Tedder. I just by reputation. Oh, he's yeah. an, he's enormous. He looks yeah. like Ron Burgundy if he was like yep. six foot eight. I mean, he's a huge guy. Right yeah, Coco Eaton too, man. Yeah, 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 big dude. Yeah. So, uh, so, but at some point you steered away from that and got into the. What do you what do you call the study of of allergies? So allergy and immunology is, okay. is the is a sub it's a subspecialty of internal medicine. Okay. Or you can go into it from pediatrics, okay. it's, it's, which is really cool because it's one of the only remaining specialties that you are expected to treat all ages. Right. That is wow. I, I hadn't even thought of that. So my my I told you my wife's family, uh, her brother's an orthodontist, her father's an orthodontist, and his sister we call the trip the triple doctor because she's a a dentist. I think a dentist, an orthodontist, and a pediatric orthodontist, or some version thereof, and yeah. So I, you know, I, I understand what you're talking about. Now, um, at some point, were you in Jacksonville? Was that during University of Alabama, or was that after? Yeah, after after okay. Alabama, I did a residency in internal medicine up in Jacksonville. And, and you then, did the Mayo Clinic. Was that in Jacksonville, or was yep. that somewhere else? Okay, uh, so that was one and the same. And that's where you started getting into the paddleboarding. Um, let me remember. So that would have been, 
My cheat no. sheet tells me somewhere around 2007. So. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Does that ring a bell? Does that refresh your recollection? Yeah, it was around that time. But man, the, the, the thing is, um, this was when I went to, when I went to Jacksonville, paddleboard had not become a thing. It was, it was being done in Hawaii. For sure. Like, I've and seen they call it long boards and they just kind of surf along with a paddle, but yeah, they call it Jorge and Nalu and, 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 um, so it, th- when I got into paddleboard and I was, I was looking at residency programs. So it was my, it was my fourth year of, of med school. You get a lot of time off if you schedule it well. Right. Yeah. And you know, time to go and try and figure out where you want to live for residency and everything. And I, w- I went out to California and had just the most amazing trip to California, man. Los Angeles or where'd you go? I went everywhere. everywhere yeah. I was like, as long as I'm going to look and maybe make a decision about living on the ocean out there, you know, it's it was, was going to be on there. an, on an ocean, but yeah. whether it was going to be Pacific or Atlantic, I didn't know, but I went out to California and just had the most ridiculously fun time. I canceled about half of the interviews and just hung out. Had you out. been surfing by that point? Yeah, you... yeah, we grew up surfing. You know, my dad pushing us onto waves around here and stuff. Would you ever go over to like Daytona Beach or the yep. other coast? Or... Yep, man, yeah. all, all through middle school and high school. That was like the the dad bonding experience for me. We'd, we'd take a So he a does weekend. it with you too. Did he do it as a, young, as a young guy or do it in the military or? My dad started surfing when he was in high school. Okay. Um, Where'd he... Where did he grow up? He grew up all over as as, oh. a, as a Navy brat. Okay. But he was in, um, I think mostly in Pensacola when he was okay. learning to surf. Yeah. And then they were moving around the you know the East Coast and, and also on the West Coast. Um, but yeah, I was out in I was out in, in California and this would have been I guess two thousand and three and I went to Malibu and it was a it was a pretty flat day mm-hmm. and and um, and the 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 shop that they have right by the Malibu pier that rents boards was even closed. They were like, no one's going to be here. So they, so they shut the, the shop up. Right. And I was just at the beach, just taking it in. Like, this is the place and thinking about all the movies I'd seen with people surfing it and everything. And then Laird Hamilton walks down, oh walks down the beach and goes, Hey, what's up? And, and I was like, Hey, <laughs> Hey, hey I, I know you, man. And, and he's, he's carrying a paddle board and he's like, yeah, we're just going to go work out. There's no waves anywhere. And so I, I, I talked to him and it's kind of like the subway. It was kind of another one of those. Exactly, man. Exactly. Corner turning. Uh, yeah. And I watched, I watched him and, um, it wasn't Kalama. It might've been Dave Kalama. I the other guy, remember. Buzzy Kerbox or the guy that he like traveled around with. It might've been Kerbox too. Yeah. Uh, so I was, there's that one story about how they jumped off the cliff and they were going to swim to this island and it ended up being like a 24-hour swim or something like that. Yeah, on prone on prone boards. Yeah. And they crossed a straight and everything. Oh, man, it was crazy. Yeah. But I saw him... Uh, so so I, I saw him paddle out on the stand-up and I was like, that is the exact perfect thing for the Gulf of Mexico. Right. It is designed for it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to wait here until he gets back and ask him where he got it from. And he got back and I said, where'd you get it from? And he said, oh, you have to know a shaper and have him make you one. Like, okay, where do I find a shaper? And he's like, I can only tell you people in California or Hawaii. I was like, okay. So I got back to Florida and started asking shapers, you know, would you would you make me one of these boards that you can right. stand up and paddle on? Yeah. And they were all like, you know, get the out yeah. of here. Getting <laughs> cursed, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and so... Um, 
I ended up getting a, a Munoz Ultra Glide. Like a windsurf board. Which is, um, no, the Munoz Ultra Glide oh. is just a really big long board. Okay. It's an 11 foot long long board. Okay. And it doesn't have the rails to, yeah. to really balance well, but you can just barely stand up on it. Well, probably a real one after that was easy after doing that. Yep. Yeah. And so we did that. And then, and all of a sudden, um, other companies started, started making them. Yeah. And Laird made his own company. And then Starboard started selling their windsurfer as a conversion kit. Yeah. And that was the first, like, legit stand-up board I ever had was a starboard windsurf con converter. Now, had you ever been to Hawaii by that point? Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. I've only been once, and God, I, you know, we went, we went, uh, so I bought this building in 2017, and it was right around the time of that big hurricane that was coming through. Uh, we finally went right before we had my son with my daughter, my wife and I, my wife was pregnant. We went to uh, Kauai and Maui. And, oh, man. And I was like, I was excited, but I was like, there's no way it'll live up to what everybody says. And despite super high expectations, it was still 10,000 times better than anything I expected. And Kauai was just amazing. Just beautiful, beautiful country. Just the people. I mean, it's it's the States, but it's not the States. I mean, it's its own thing, you know. And, uh, you know... It's just such a different way of life. I remember because my, my daughter eats these pouches, these like baby food pouches. And so we went to a Walmart that was open in the middle of the night and I got up to the, the grocery counter and I was looking for the bags. And I'm like, we don't, we don't use bags here. You got to go buy it. And I was like, oh my God, you know, it's just this whole different way of thinking. And it was, it, it, it to this day, it was one of the most amazing trips. And then we went to Maui and is it Piahu or what is the? Piahi. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think like Woody Harrelson and, uh, Owen Wilson and I think uh, I think Laird Hamilton. They all have houses there, and then Gene Simmons' son has a bar yep, yep. there. And then there's people surfing that you can see just over the shops, and there's people playing live music in the street. My daughter, who was like four, had her shoes off. She was dancing on the table. I was like, "This is the memory I want to have before I die. This is like everything all at once. It was just amazing." So, yeah, beautiful, man. So anyway, so you're uh, you're in Jacksonville. You're figuring out paddle boarding. How long were you there for? Three years. Three years. Yeah, yeah. And then after Jacksonville, where'd you go? I went to Tulane in New Orleans. Oh wow! And no water there. Um, Pontchartrain, man. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lake Pontchartrain. Actually, people actually surf in Lake Pontchartrain. Really? Big up all the Pontchartrain surfers. Oh wow! To this, There's man. a whole crew there. You got to be really, really, really dedicated to surfing. Yeah. Is it cold? <laughs> it's, well, the, the only time there's waves is when the wind blows really strong with like a nor'easter kind right. of coming up, coming down north off the lake. And so the south shore of the lake, there are places where people will go and it's it's like the Gulf of Mexico on a bad day. Yeah. But you can technically ride a wave. Do it. If so you if, you're, do if it. you're hungry enough, you'll go for it. So, uh, how was New Orleans? That, that's, that's a whole other experience. Yeah. It's yeah, all, and musically, especially. Musically, it is absolutely unique in the States. It's absolutely unique in the whole world as a place for music, which, you know, has its good points and bad points. It's, it's a supply and demand kind of thing in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's musicians there that you watch and just sink into their music and their style and how unique and how effortless and how just fluid it is and then all of a sudden you come back to yourself and realize you're in a bar on bourbon street and you're watching a cover band and it's some guy who's been playing for ten dollars a night for the last 30 years yeah and there's one at every other bar and yeah. every other corner and yeah, yeah. We, we went there for uh i think it was mardi gras and uh i'm, I'm like a jukebox freak if i find a bar with a jukebox i will piss away you know, 100 bucks. <laughs> so i was sitting there and i was i was uh 
I was trying to find a Van Morrison song. I was putting it in there, and all of a sudden, all these guys walk in with suits, and they have earpieces on, and it was George Bush's daughters came in there with their boyfriends, and the Secret Service just, like, infiltrated this bar, and I was like, this is insane, but... So I played music for George Bush's daughters all that yeah. night. It was pretty pretty cool. But yeah, New Orleans was rad. And as far as a musical town, I mean, that's got to be top five in the country. Yeah. So. I had to, I had a chance to play with a, a samba and pagogi band there, um, which was, um, they, there's an actual, It's I think it's the only place in, in the United States where they could make this happen, maybe outside of Boston, San Francisco, maybe, where there's an actual honest-to-goodness samba school in New Orleans, and that means that's that there's so cool. there's a school for teaching the drumming. There's a and in the same school they teach the dancing, and in the same school they teach how to make the costumes for carnival. Oh wow, it's the and whole in, the whole deal. Yep, and in the same school they teach, and they also mix it with you know Mardi Gras culture. So they teach kids how to do you know stilt walking and stilt dancing. The Creole, the French, the it's, whole it's yeah, that's, awesome. That, that is really weird. now that that actually just said that remind me because I know you did percussion and. Hip abduction too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, is that something that that kind of came later after the the string instruments, or do you kind of always just bang on stuff for? Yeah, um, I think I got started with that in 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 Harvard. Yeah, just um, there's some amazing African drummers up in in Cambridge and Somerville, especially. Did um, you play in any bands up there? When did you start playing in bands? I did. Well, I played in this in the in. I, most of the time I went to Capoeira, it was just to play music. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and play the pandero, which is like the skin uh, tambourine. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the or the birimbau, the musical bow. Um, and then we had like a, a little samba band thing that we did. We play at little parties and stuff. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess at that time I was playing in, in coffee houses and stuff and, you know, open mics. Right. Um, I played in bands when I was in high school. Did you? Um, but... Yeah, they, 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 you know. What type of music? There's a guy, uh, Hunter something, that played in a punk band. Yeah. Do you remember? It's like Hunter Herring. Or Hunter, Hunter Herring, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It was Down by Law, I think was the name of it. And I yep. remember I was yep, impressed yep. by them because they were on Epitaph with Bad Religion and all these other bands. It just popped into my head. So were you yeah. playing like rock music, punk music? or yeah, was At that... that age, pretty much everything turns yeah. into sort of punk music, yeah, music and bar music yeah and let's see how loud we can play right. power chords right. and 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 you know how fast i can solo right yeah yeah <laughs> and, and you know just make it as loud as humanly possible but it evolved it got a little bit more nuanced through college and yeah definitely yeah. man so uh you finish in in uh new orleans and then is that entry in, back into Florida or was yep. there somewhere else in between? Okay, yep. right back to St. Pete? Right back to St. Pete. Man. And right in with your dad or? Home sweet, yep, home sweet home, man. Came came back, um, built a, a little house out on Sunset Beach and started practicing. And that's where you, that's, and you're living in that same place now? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, how is it working with your dad? It's great. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, I think we, we kind of complement each other stylistically, and he's old school, you're new school, or there's a little bit of that yeah. uh, that angle to it. But also, man, he's just an amazing he's an amazing diagnostician. And yeah. it's like me or you saying, yeah, you know, Michael Jordan was a great basketball player, versus somebody who works for a really long time to get to the NBA right. and, then, and then plays against him or plays with him, yeah. and then comes up to you and is like, yeah, he's a really he's a great basketball. Yeah, player. yeah. It, it, it means something more when you um, have when you see it with different eyes, you know? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's kind of like music. Uh, you know, I was late into the game and nowhere near, you know, what you do, but uh, I find myself listening to music differently, kind of knowing what goes into it. And so in a similar way with medicine, you know, there's this uh, podcast I've been crazy about lately called Crash Bang Boom, and it's a drummer's podcast. So it's all these crazy drummers from all these bands. And I was listening to this one, and it was uh, Dale Crover, who's the, the drummer for the Melvins. Oh, man. And he was going through about the height of your seat and the angle of your cymbals and the blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I would have never even thought to, to, to think about that and how that affects, like, he was talking about, like, these shoulder injuries that all these drummers get because they yeah, put their man. seats in the wrong yes. spot and all this yes. crazy stuff. And it's just like, it's amazing how much you don't know. Like, the more you learn, the more you learn how much you don't know. So, I, you know, hearing you talk about your dad, I'm sure it's an education outside that you got at the University of Alabama or Harvard or whatever. Yeah, so I'm I'm super lucky to get to hang out with him. Well, plus, and, I mean, my dad was, you know, the biggest the biggest figure in my life, and I wish I could have, you know, been around him more in, as an adult. So that's got to be awesome. Now, your brother, Chris, are you guys, you guys hang out? Are you guys close? Or Yeah, man. Yeah. He, he, um, he's super into music and so i he, saw him at slayer concert yep <laughs> yeah yeah he was sitting there i was like i know you and i and i figured out who he was and he had his crowbar shirt on he was there with his wife or his girlfriend or whatever and yeah he he he's gonna when he's you know 90 years old he's gonna be this the coolest guy in the nursing home like yeah you you want to oh you want to hear about some of the shows i went to when i was yeah. a kid, man and does and he play at all he doesn't play music okay. at all at all he he's never really he, been into doing that but he's got a really good ear for um for you know like for lack of a better word for soul soulful yeah. music yeah. and and also for just the energy and different types of music he just got me into this um mongolian heavy metal who? band or the who man yeah. the who they, yeah, they are just played at the orpheum not too long they ago. are unreal yeah, good yeah yeah man. yeah they're crazy so uh, how did how did uh, the hip abduction happen? The hip abduction happened because um, people from Tampa started coming over to St. Pete to train with um, my really good friend and training partner uh, Christian Cook, who runs the Cross Up uh, Canoe Club, mm -hmm. and, and which used to be more of like stand up paddleboard and personal training and stuff like that, and it's kind of morphed into a into a act in like a Hawaiian outrigger canoe oh, wow. club, yeah. um, with the you know the six the six person outrigger canoe and the and the and the open ocean racing and stuff like that, and anyway he he was starting this thing and you know we were all we always mess around and train together and do crazy stuff like you know pull weights with a bicycle or just trying just just trying yeah, stuff out yeah. messing around you know breath holding ice baths and stuff like off, that though, yeah yeah it, it's you got to stay curious. You got to keep trying. Well, I'm stuff. telling you, you are. I mean, you know, and, and and so anyway, people from Tampa started coming over to to hang out and train and and try to try paddling and 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 surfing and whatnot. And um, and they would like, I guess, just kind of bring friends. And one of the guys they brought was um, uh, was trying to start that the band. Um, and they were kind of playing like Dave Matthews style right. music at that point. Um, they actually had a um, you know an album like an LP at that point with like one or two reggae songs, but the rest was like you know acoustic 
Um, it's really cool. I mean, when I heard it, it was it definitely heard David's voices like Paul, uh, Paul Simon and yeah, a lot know, of people made that comparison. Yeah, and you know, Vampire Weekend was kind of out and around that time, so it was kind of a world pop world, you know. But such, I mean, that those those first two albums especially were just on repeat for like three summers for me. It was, you know, infinitely listenable music. Oh man, just, that makes me happy. It's just really cool. Um, so who was who was the guy who was training with you? Was it David or was it one of the other guys? Yeah, David. Um, David came over just once, and then afterwards, um, one I think of the Kapow- is it Kapowski? I think I went to school with him too. He Ch- was in the Chapowski. Yeah, I think he went to St. Paul's too. Yeah. Anyway, it's very. It, there's we have a lot, lot of mutual friends on Facebook, and there's a lot of Chapowskis in well, that could be too. too so. big Polish community. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, no, he he came over, and then after after we went swimming or whatever we were doing that day. Um, Somebody said, "Hey, you know this guy plays African harps, and you, you, he, he, he plays the guitar. You guys should, you know, should play, play for us, jam for us, or whatever." And so we just sat on the porch and and played the core and the guitar for a little while, and we're like, "Okay, we should, we should get this together, man." Well, I just, you know, I being a father and owning a business and being an attorney, I can barely fit it all in. So when I think about being in a band, being a paddleboarder, being a doctor, all these things, I mean. You've got to be pretty good at time management. Is that, is that something you had to develop, or is that something you've always had? Uh, you just don't sleep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and Had you started competing with the paddleboarding at that point yet? or? Yeah, at that point. That was that was right after I'd done my first um, race in Hawaii, which is... The, now, of all the races you've done, are, are those always in Hawaii, or do you do them in California? Do you do them elsewhere? Um, the only one I'm traveling for anymore is is to go to hawaii because so just, what's the specs there how how long are you going how many people are in it like uh there's usually about um 300 uh entries which can be solo or team and you you cross from molokai across the kaivi channel over to oahu and it's a 32 mile distance as the as the, as the crow flies um how long but, does it take you man it really depends on the conditions oh really so um and you know, and, and the innovations in the in the technology too. It's getting the, so the, the big jump each year. It was like the four minute mile. Everybody, yeah. you know, once someone does it, everybody does it. Everybody keeps dropping the times, and you're like, "There's no way somebody's going to cross in under four hours." And then somebody crosses in under four hours, and you're like, "All right, yeah, <laughs> here we go." Yeah, yeah. Um, and what kind then, of training do you do for that? Uh, you do as much open ocean work as you can. Um, you do a lot of endurance work. Um, you do a lot of, uh, conditioning, um, you do a lot of, um, um, body weight work. Um, and, but the most important thing is that it's, it's, a it's a totally demanding, um, it's like these ultra marathon activity where you put your life on the line almost. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't. Not quite that, that far, far, but it's, you're you're leaving it all on the field. You, you have a you have a boat with you in the in the middle yeah. of the channel, you know. Yeah. So, um, but you have to be so totally in the moment. It's it it like necessitates being in a flow state, kind of, yeah. because you're you're trying to use the ocean to propel you forward, but you're doing that only with maximum effort because it's not breaking waves; it's just swells. Yeah. So you have to try and match the swell speed in order to be able to get allow gravity to, 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 to impel you, you know, and, and so it's, it, you, you have to be able to just pull out a lot of sudden energy whenever the ocean demands that you do it. 
and and then be able to concentrate, balance, be totally aware of your surroundings, and, and keep it mental moving. as much, if not more, than physical. It's totally mental. It's exhausting, but man, it's it's amazing. There's now, does size like help it. you or hurt you? Um, I mean, there's not man. weight classes. Is there age bracket? Yep, just, it's age bracketed. Oh, okay. Age bracketed, and um, so. There's a bunch of different stipulations that have, have changed over the years in terms of the size of the board that you can use, whether you're solo or with a team, um, whether you can have a moving rudder on your paddle board. Um, and um, there was one point where they were trying to do, they were, they were thinking maybe the double hull was going to be the next innovation. So oh, they wow. had rules about that. And now the new class that is just tearing it up is the the hydrofoil uh class where they where they they don't actually ride on the bottom of the board they they paddle on the bottom of the board uh with the bottom of the board against the water until they get enough inertia that the hydrofoil which is you know three feet down under yeah. the water picks lifts it's kind of like the thing the that uh, laird's doing with the, the big waves it's the exact same thing yeah. except they're doing that in the middle of the ocean and they're doing it at you know 30 miles an hour riding open ocean swells it is insane unreal. have you tried it i yeah. have not i'm i'm I, i'm starting to feel old and stodgy I when ask, i see those guys are you on the older end or are you in the middle how, how does that work i'm on uh, for for competitive paddleboarders i'm definitely on the older end man yeah. it's it's a young man's game um but you know then, then you know there's that old saying about how age and treachery will always triumph over youth and exuberance yeah, innocence, yeah. Right? well plus it's kind of an old man in the sea you know if i had to go somehow that would be a pretty rad way to go um so now did you were you on the third album for the hip abduction i know you did the first two did you were you part of the writing or recording of that third album so um with something with the gold i'm, I'm yep. blanking at the moment yes yeah, so we had we had uh one less sound which is okay. the, the first one we put out together as a group and then the self-titled hip abduction the blue album yeah and then gold under the glow. And then during was it that during that tour when you left the band? It was. Yeah. Yeah. And then John Holt replaced you. He did. Now, did you know him before he came in? Yeah. Because um, I saw that you were teaching him the, the instruments yep, at some point. Yep. 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 Was and, that for him to be able to kind of take that spot? Is that how that worked? Or yeah, it kind of it it got kind of muddled up at the end there. But basically, I've known John for a long time, and and yeah, sweetheart Saint, of a guy. Yeah, St. Pete's lucky to have the quality of musicians that we have and he's definitely one of the standouts man um and yes just an absolute sweet guy so i can't say enough good about him yeah so i was i'll say it now so hopefully if he listens to this i'll hear it but uh so my mom passed away july 25th and uh my dad had gone the year prior but I, you know my mom was she taught at saint paul's she was so loved by everybody and I knew I just wanted to have a big party for her, so I had people look around, and they found the space at the museum right down there, right down there across from the Vinoy, and uh, reached out to John. I said, would you be interested in this? And he said he would be, and uh, he came out, set up just him with the acoustic, and he played for about three or four hours, and, and it, was it was the most joyous, beautiful thing. He played just amazing. I asked him, if, what was the song I asked him if he could play? Um, it's a George Harrison song. I'll, I'll remember it in a second. And he learned that song to play it for me. But everybody the whole time was pulling me aside, like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And I was telling him, he's amazing. He, you know, he's band Danfield. He used to be in the hip production, all, all this other stuff. So John will always have a special place in my heart for, for that memory. But uh, so 
you left the hip abduction, then he left the hip abduction. And I don't know, was Dan Field going on that whole time as like a side deal, or is that something he started up afterwards? I don't think anybody's exactly sure when Dan Field started. It's more of a state, it's more of, a state of mind than an actual band. I mean, there's not even really a set members. It's kind of a collective or something, it a, is, mo a movement. It is, man. If we were in San Francisco in the 60s, yeah. we would all be living in a the crash pad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's, that's you know, it's, it's man... I'm so lucky to be able to play with these guys. They're just amazing musicians. They're some of the only people I've ever felt 100% comfortable. Locked in with, yeah. Locked in. I am I am convinced if we got up to play a concert and none of us knew any of the songs, we could pull it off without yeah. without too many people in the audience noticing it. Yeah. Um, they're, they're just amazing musicians. So, so John Holt and Sean Fody had started Danfield. Where does the name come from? So Danfield was—I I don't remember who is who—who who was who—but I believe one of them wanted the band to be more influenced by Steely Dan, okay. and the other one wanted to be more influenced by Curtis Mayfield. Okay, well there you go. And so they compromised and called it Danfield. For some reason, I'm trying to think of the guy who—it uh, was like in Dracula or something. It was Blofeld or something like that. For some reason, <laughs> every time I hear Danfield, I think of Blofeld. But anyway. So, and then, what was the Anipodians? Was that something you were doing, too? Was that a group, or was that just a... a Blofeld was the dude in James Bond with the white cat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he'd stroke the white cat. I don't know and, who I'm thinking of. And, and yeah. order people into the shark that's tank. That's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, um was this... have all these this... uh, doctory... Uh, Band band names. Yeah, and, uh, I love the word anti antipodean since yeah. the first time I heard it. So I was like, man, someday I'm going to name a band that. Um, <laughs> but um, that's a project that we put together with some of the folks from Danfield and some some folks from other local bands um, to to get my Cora teacher um, over and and playing live music in in St. Pete. And so I'm again, my life's been just full of these amazingly lucky coincidences you gotta write a book, man. That's and crazy. and so one of the best cora players in the world right now um morikeba kuyate uh is living in orlando um wow. where he is playing at disney world has a regular gig and wow. you know and for somebody who wants to just play exactly the way they want to play and not worry about you know fitting in or or having you know an agent or anything it's it's an it's a great gig. Yeah, you know he's getting totally underpaid. It, but and nobody recognizes nobody yeah. recognizes that this yeah. this is one of the most amazing things in the world that this guy's playing at the Animal Kingdom right. in the African Village at Disney World. But he's living there, and and so I I met Morikeba um, back in New Orleans um, when he was when he was there doing a show, and they told me a choral player was coming. I was like I I got to get a lesson, you know, and I. Just basically went like a, you know, a monk of yore and yeah. knelt on his doorstep. Yeah. Please, can you teach show me, me anything? Kung Fu, yeah. And he's like, you, you know, I can't teach how to play the kora, you know, unless you really want to. I was like, I really want to do it. I really want to do it. He and, didn't know who he was messing with. There's somebody yeah, going to do it. It's going to be you. And so anyway, I've, 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 I've he is a an amazing. He's probably the most amazing musician I've ever met, and that's saying something. Man. Yeah. But he, he um, I actually had the opportunity just last year, I went over to Senegal with him and spent a month wow. in Senegal in Casamance, which is like the, the Delta, the South Delta region in, in Senegal, which is a lot like the South Delta region of yeah. the United States. That's where all 
the good music and the Isn't front porch. Isn't it funny how environments kind of breed certain types of things? I think there's a, a, a correlation there. The, I think every country that has a river delta has river delta music that that's what you got to get like a grant to study is the the impact on land and music and you know that's what that would be yeah man the um you know the the um the amazon delta out um out by Beleng has music styles you don't find anywhere else we in, gotta figure that's a, a, a method of travel so there's things getting passed down at a much quicker rate along the river. Yeah, you know, and, so. it's, and it's a, a natural port, so that's where the different cultures Born, come into yeah. it. And, and, you know, the same thing with Hawaii and the, you know, the Kavakinu, the, the little yeah. Portuguese guitar-type guitar instrument that got turned into the ukulele. You know, it happened because of the sailors. The sailors spread the, 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 the technology and the, and, the, and the implements of the culture around. That's awesome. Well, I, before we wrap up, there's two things I want to touch on. One is, and I, I was doing some homework on you, and there was an article that wrote about you, but you had uh, this Thoreau quote that you have on your Facebook about, uh, with, with all your science, can you tell me how it is that light comes into your soul? And you, you, you probably probably forgot you had that or don't think about it anymore. But the reason I... The I, don't reason, go, I don't go on Facebook much, man. Well, I know, I know, I know. But I read the article and I found it. And the reason it, it kind of uh, resonated with me is my dad was in the seminary to become a priest uh -huh. before uh, his dad took ill. And his dad used to live out on St. Pete Beach. He was up in Conception Abbey, Missouri. And he studied philosophy. And he was in the seminary to become a priest. And he came out and he uh, took care of my grandfather. And he started teaching biology at Azalea. And then he ta taught at Northeast. And... He was a man of science, but he was also a man of faith. And looking at that quote, it kind of, the, the juxtaposition of those two things and kind of occupying both worlds, it's, 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 it suits you because I kind of feel that that's what you're, you're doing, you know, uh, you know, through your music, through your, 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 your paddle boarding, but then also being a man of science. I just think it's somehow to, to kind of juxtapose those two things over each other is that something you think about i mean is that something that resonates with you or is that just you don't know any other way uh man i just try and do my thing and and try and live an examined life and live a good life thoreau would i, I must have put that back there on that drunk, right? back from <laughs> back like in college yeah. i was really into henry, henry david thoreau in, in one, college man. i used to ride my bike from um from harvard out to walden pond which is just an amazing. I didn't think I realized it was up there. Yeah, it's outside oh, wow. of Boston. He didn't. He didn't go all that far. No, man. yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> just right behind a Circle K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's a way. You, you have to. You have to go through some some pretty rural area to get to it, and it's up. You know, big. You know, foothills and stuff. So it's an amazing bike ride. But that was like my place where, you know, get away from the city and and get a little bit of nature vibes, and you know, go swimming in the pond and just think about the book and whatnot and so that always had just a I don't know, special place in my heart so that's why that quote is probably, probably <laughs> i'm sorry if i embarrassed you not at all man well before we wrap it's up great. i tuned my uke and i tuned my guitar and put them next to you you got anything in you a little riff here or there yeah you want to play something i'll watch you i don't want to embarrass myself i'm not that good Yeah. Only a 
my kaino. Oya ina ulwevehi, oya kaino ala namalia. Ulili he, ulili hoi, ulili holo holo kahakai. Oya kaino ala namalia, ulili holo holo kahakai. And then Iz always walked up at the end. That's badass. Wow. I wish I had a camera in here. Thank you so much, Pat. Hey man, it's it was been my awesome. Pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, forgiving me for sending you to Bush Gardens, but uh, this was, was everything I hoped it would be and more. Yeah, it was an adventure, man. Thanks very much. All right, you have a good night.